Businesses of all sizes have been affected by COVID-19. In response to this, Post Media Solutions has created a five-step guide aimed to help you adapt to your business during this global crisis. To get this free guide, visit postmediasolutions.com forward slash adapt. Canada has for now avoided a worst-case scenario with COVID-19. Our healthcare systems are managing the crisis, and our social distancing efforts appear to be working at keeping cases down. But that doesn't mean Canada's response to the pandemic has been stellar. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. I talk with National Post columnist Chris Selly to discuss Canada's response so far and where policymakers and health officials have let us down. Don't forget you can subscribe to us on all your favorite listening apps, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. We'd also love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Chris, we're still very much in the middle of dealing with COVID-19 and its effect on our lives and our healthcare system, but it appears that Canada is at a place where we're starting to see some positives. You know, there are fewer deaths now than it was projected there would be. There are some provinces who were talking about maybe we can open things up fairly soon. How do we get to the place where we've had these successes? Well, it's been a scramble, hasn't it? I mean, we were told that we had learned all these lessons from SARS. And certainly here in Ontario, it turns out that we hadn't learned or maybe we learned and forgot lessons as basic uh, as having enough personal protective equipment on hand lessons as basic as how to run a nursing home so as not to create a terrible, terrible situation. We've seen that in Quebec. It'll be interesting Mm -hmm. in the aftermath of this to see, you know, this is going to be studied incredibly closely. and and, And I guess we'll figure out exactly how we did it. But I think part of it certainly would be, I can say here in Toronto, that the level of lockdown that people went into, not just businesses closing, but people staying indoors is incredibly impressive. Not that I thought the Torontonians would rebel or anything, but I never thought that I would (laughs) see the streets that empty just from people being asked to stay indoors. And it seems that that really did work. Things are now peaking here in Ontario, it seems. And yeah, I mean, what looked to be months and months and months and months, potentially, uh, which is a horrifying prospect on every level, now people are talking about weeks. I I guess hopefully the basic approach which was locked down, stay inside, has seen us through, even though we had a lot of bumps along the way and and we weren't nearly as prepared as we should have been. The lack of preparation has been definitely highlighted when you, when you, especially when you talk about PPE and there've been reports that we had a national stockpile, it was let to expire and then it wasn't replaced. And it looks like it was successive governments who kind of dropped the ball on this. Where have the feds let us down here? Even though, admittedly, the prime minister is doing a reasonable job of at least trying to assure Canadians that we're on the right track and to to show that, you know, what we're doing in terms of a lockdown is working. It's not like it's been a smooth road for the feds on this. No, I mean, in terms of preparation, I think most of my complaints are actually provincial and, and it really varies by province, right? I mean, Alberta and, and we'll see again in the postmortem, we'll see why, but Alberta had tons of PPE to the point where it's been distributing it to the rest of Canada. 
whereas other provinces didn't. Mm-hmm. And I mean, who 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 has a stockpile of expired PPE? I mean, why why would you even keep that? So obviously, the Feds did have a supply of that, and they sent some of it to China, which is unfortunate, if only optically. But in terms of the preparation aspect, I, I'm most disappointed by the provinces. In terms of the federal approach, I'm more disappointed and frankly shocked by the shoddiness of the execution. It's not so much the evolving advice. It's, you know, along the way, we were asked to believe that masks don't work. Well, of course, masks work. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, wh- how stupid do they think people are? We were told to believe that travel bans don't work. Well, one of the major reasons that people think travel bans don't work is because they're always implemented, quote unquote, too late to make a difference. And that may well be the case here. But the fact is that we implemented it late. So we got the worst of both worlds and we were asked to switch the page literally over the course of a weekend. You had the health minister on a Friday saying, you know, very in very strong pointed language that travel bans don't work. And then on the Monday, whoops, we have a travel ban. You had at the situation at airports was just absolutely shocking. I mean, not only were we not prepared right at the beginning, we had huge lineups of people returning, which is just a terrible idea if if you're trying to contain a pandemic. But I mean, they printed out a double sided eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper telling people what they needed to do and what they weren't allowed to do. And that sheet of paper completely failed. It, it just, it wasn't in plain English. It didn't say, for example, that you weren't allowed to stop for groceries or, the, or at the drugstore on the way home from the airport. Well, I mean, what percentage of people would have mm-hmm. done that? 95%? I mean, pe- people need groceries. Yeah. I mean, it was just an absolutely total failure of communications and organization at airports alone to the point that I just find it absolutely baffling. That's my complaint with the federal government, really, at this point. I mean, we'll see in the postmortem again. Maybe they screwed up even worse than, than, than we thought, but it's more just how badly they communicated their positions and how badly they communicated the essential advice that they were giving to Canadians. Why do you suppose that they took the steps that they did related to not enacting a travel ban or continuing to discuss why masks aren't helpful? I mean, the WHO was still saying masks are unnecessary, even though Canada has turned around and suggested, yeah, you probably could wear a mask. It could help. Where are we getting this? Is it a fault of the the public health office or is it a fault of the politicians or is it a combination? How does this all play out? It seems pretty clear to me that the mask language, and this is true in the United States as well, we were being told that masks don't work because they were desperately short of masks, period. And they didn't want people Mm -hmm. buying up masks that could be used in the medical system. I think Canadians are smart enough to be told that. They're smart enough to figure that out. In terms of travel bans... It's clear that public health officials in Ottawa are of that, I don't know what you would call it, philosophical or, I mean, there is a lot of evidence that travel bans don't work. Some of it was authored by Teresa Tam in a previous life. And so I think they were following what they saw as the evidence, and then it became politically untenable. I mean, if you look at the research on travel bans, basically all of it comes down to one conclusion is that they don't work, or at least as they've been implemented in the past, they haven't worked. A, and B, they are always going to happen because they become a political necessity because they make so much sense to people. So I I think that's all politics in in terms of travel bans. Although living next door to the United States, I think it makes a certain amount of scientific sense as well. But I suspect that in fact, when we look back on it, we will have implemented the travel ban too late for it to have made a huge difference. And in any event, we're repatriating millions of Canadians, some of whom are going to be infected anyways. So I mean, public health is always a mixture of science and politics. Yeah. I think on these two issues, it was a really sort of clumsy 
mixture of politics and science that everyone could see through. I know a lot of people are doing a postmortem partway through here, but there has to be ongoing analysis of the federal and the provincial response to things. But when we get to kind of the end of this pandemic, or at least the end of the first wave, and we look how things have gone, what do you think will be kind of the lasting memory or the lasting effect of the federal and provincial response to this? You know, it's weird. Like, we've become almost numb, I think, to the death toll, which is not nearly as high as it could have been. I think, in a way, we're going to come through this it looks like, knock wood, a lot better than a lot of other countries. And I think there's going to be a definite risk of self-congratulation on that front. I mean, I would hope that the death toll and the incredible risk that it could have been so much worse would be enough that we would actually learn all the lessons from SARS that we supposedly learned 17 years ago, which, you know, all kinds of issues with respect to senior citizens' homes from care workers who work in multiple facilities for low wages with few benefits. Mm -hmm. These were things that were identified in SARS as huge problems. And, you know, only belatedly have Ontario and Quebec once again said people can only work in one facility. Same thing in prisons, right? I mean, prisons and jails do not seem to have had any kind of comprehensive plan to deal with this. Things as basic as as a stockpile of personal protective equipment. And maybe it makes sense for for the provinces to sort of coordinate on that and, and have a central stockpile somewhere and not let that slide after, you know, five or 10 years when nothing happens and you're looking for an easy thing to cut come budget time. I mean, I think it's one of the frustrating things is that it, it wouldn't have been enormously expensive or anything to be prepared for this. We just seem to have slacked off. Mm-hmm. And so I would hope that it would just be a matter of getting serious and staying serious, knowing that it could have been so much worse. Yeah. You don't have to look far to see where things can get really bad. You know, there obviously our, our neighbor to the south still dealing with a quagmire um, and there, you know, it's differences in state by state. And there are some states that are talking about reopening when maybe they shouldn't. And there's rallies and, and protests outside state houses that governments need to let people go. And it seems like at least maybe it's not the best benchmark, but at least we're faring better than our, our neighbors to the South. How much do you think that we'll look at how the international community dealt with this Countries like the UK, Italy, Sweden, when we're comparing it to our response to it? Uh, and how much do you think we'll look at the states and just pat ourselves on the back? Well, it's always a risk in Canada that we look at the states and pat ourselves on the back. We certainly saw it in the early days of this. I think we got a little bit spooked, uh, quite rightly, and stopped doing that when things became really, really serious. I mean, I would hope, well, I, I don't have to hope. I mean, the scientific community has an incredible amount of data to deal with here in assessing various countries' approaches to this. And and they range all the way from Sweden, which is, you know, relatively laissez-faire, and everyone is sort of criticizing Sweden. But if you look at their numbers, they're doing much better than a lot of other European countries, especially on the number of cases. They're doing quite badly in terms of the number of deaths. But in terms of the number of cases, they're not doing any worse than Norway or Denmark, you know, right next door. Mm-hmm. And then the responses range all the way to total lockdown in Italy. I have every confidence the scientists are going to dig into this and compare these responses and that there's going to be all kinds of super interesting analyses to look at. And I would hope that those filter down into the mainstream media so people can look at that and think about next time 
Do we have to go as far as we did? I'm going to question some of the excesses of it, but in terms of just the, the general lockdown approach, I'm totally fine with that. Mm-hmm. But maybe we didn't have to. You know, maybe there are other ways to look at it. And we'll also see afterwards, I'm afraid that we'll see some of the real harms that were caused by the lockdown in terms of, well, we, we've heard all sorts of things from, from suicide to domestic violence to, uh, you know, there's all sorts of harms associated with cooping people up in their houses for months on end. So I, I think it'll be a really interesting postmortem exercise and there's no shortage of data. And so I would hope that that conversation will go on and on and it will inform the plan that we have for next time. You mentioned the excesses of the lockdown. And one of the things that we've seen and read about over the last several weeks is that as the weather warms up in Canada, we've come out of the depths of winter out here in Alberta. It's just actually happened. We were dealing with snow up until a week, a week and a half ago. People want to get out of their homes. People want to get outside. Alberta's chief medical officer of health has talked about the need for people to get outside so long as they're social distancing, not congregating in large groups. But on the flip side of that, people are being told, like, if you see people who aren't following these guidelines, we have a way for you to report them. And what you're seeing is overkill on the other side of the things. Will that be a lasting effect of this, that people will be less trusting of others or that we may be more likely to snitch on others in future situations? What do you make of this whole snitch line, tip line nonsense? Well, it's gross and it's unnecessary. You know, Canadian cities have deployed their police officers and their bylaw officers to go out there and find people who aren't following the rules and warn them or ticket them. And they don't seem to be having any trouble finding enough people to warn (laughs) or ticket. Mm -hmm. There's no need to encourage Canadians to snitch on each other, especially when you're talking about private property. And when you see some of the excesses that, and, and, and to be fair, this is mostly in Ottawa, and I don't know what's wrong with that city, but the things that have been going on there are truly extraordinary. I mean, you've seen bylaw officers harass a father for kicking a ball around with his son. You've seen ticket a guy for walking his dog in the park. The, they seem to have made up a rule in Ottawa that you can't walk around a park. You just have to, you, you're only allowed to walk through it. <laughs> And they're handing out tickets to people that cite a provincial bylaw, the the emergency bylaw here in Ontario, that says nothing of the kind. Like they are inventing laws Mm -hmm. (laughs) and enforcing them. Uh, And the the mayor and the city council seem to be perfectly fine with this. Uh, And thankfully, that that hasn't spread. But I do think that you know when we post mortem this, and I don't know if there'll be official inquiries or what. I think there should be. But I think it seems pretty clear to me when this is over, we will conclude that we went too far with telling people that they can't go outside or telling people that they shouldn't go outside or going after people in parks if they get within 1.5 meters of someone for a couple of seconds instead of two meters. I think it's pretty clear that there seems to be a consensus that we've gone too far with this. And so, I, I no, I don't think it's going to sort of erode public trust. If anything, I think this whole thing will increase public trust, it, which is what makes it so frustrating that the government seem willing to risk that by trying to turn people against each other. But I think it's just it's probably just the same old neighborhood busybodies who are taking advantage of this at the end of the day. And they've always been there and they will always be there. I think the lasting effect overall should be one of kind of solidarity. Mm -hmm. Because as I say, I've been really impressed. 
here in Toronto with, with with how dedicated people have been. Yeah, well, it's definitely the, the kind of thing that can bring people together as much as it, it may stir up conflict. Well, terror has a way of doing that, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Chris. All right, thank you. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Chris Selly. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.